Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm so thankful that God is not distant. That song that we just sang says that we're available to him, but do you recognize the the weight and the beauty of what has to be true before we say we're available to him is that he was available to us? And that God is not this impersonal force in the heavens who does not care, but he is an intimate father who knows the hairs on our heads. He knows where your heart breaks. He knows where your heart soars, and he is intimately involved in our lives. And I am so thankful that that's how our God truly is. Aren't you? Can we say that? Can we just be thankful for that? And uh, what I also love is he's such a personal God, and so he cares about our lives and how we live them. James, where we are growing and learning together as a church this, this summer, is a guide in a lot of ways that God included in Scripture through the author James to help give us instruction in a lot of ways of how to practically follow Jesus. Like, what does this look like in real life? An impersonal God would not care about a really personal guide to how to live, but this is what's happening in the book of James. See, James was writing to early Christians. In fact, these early Christians were scattered all over the Roman Empire, and they're asking the question of what does it mean to live for Jesus? And so James is giving a guide of what living faith looks like, to not only believe the right things about Jesus, but how do we actually live the right way? Now, I have a few things in my life that I want to make sure are really settled, especially for my boys, that they would live the right way. And part of living the right way for my boys is that in the Hildebrandt household, we are Braves fans. Anybody, you, you agree? Like, we're Braves fans in the, in the Hildebrandt household. Uh, and it actually goes back to when I was a kid. Here's a picture of me in the mid-1990s. It's a blurry picture. This was a picture taken of a picture. Have you ever done that? You have, like, the old Polaroids. What do we do with these? Take a picture and make a picture. It's blurry. What you can't tell is my parents apparently let me have glasses, like, the size of my face. And I'm not sure what they were letting me do with that. Um, I, we we love the Braves in, in our house, grew up a Braves fan, which is why this picture makes me want to throw up. Bre- uh, Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman and Dodger Blue, if you, if you don't know who Freddie Freeman is, just know that all of our hearts have been weeping this weekend as he's back in Atlanta wearing Dodger Blue. But, but, but I want my kids to be Braves fans so much that back when they were in the World Series run back last fall, I, like I'm forcing like moments on them. Parents, maybe you've been there where you're like, you're going to remember this and you're going to love it. Uh, the Braves, when it became clear through the World Series that they were going to take it. And some of you, I see some people already nodding. You know what I'm talking about. It was about 11 p.m. on the night that I just, you just knew it. They were about to clinch the World Series. And I go tell my wife, I'm, I'm over here already freaking out. I'm like sweating. I'm breathing heavy. The Braves are about to win the World Series. I go and wake my, my, my kids up at 11, 11 p.m. on a school night. I went and woke them up. It's my seven-year-old and my five-year-old. They're eight and six now. My seven-year-old and my five-year-old. I, I take him to, to the living room, and they're both like falling asleep on my shoulder. I'm like, you are going to wake up. <laughs> And you're going to remember the day that daddy woke you up to watch the Braves 
win the World Series. And my oldest has like a steel trap mind. And every now and then we'll just be in conversation. He'd be like, Dad, remember that time you like woke me up? Like, I'm like, I think he's bothered by it. But I want them to be Braves fans. But you know what I want for my kids more than I, I want to make sure that they have the right fandom in sports is, man, I really want my kids to live for Jesus. I really, really want them to love him, to be saved by him, and to follow him. And I really want that for, for you. I want that for us, which is why James is such an important book. How do we move from making sure that we believe the right things, but we actually live the right way? So our driving statement for today's teaching is really simple, but it's this, Christianity is a lifestyle. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's not just an idea. It's not just fandom. It's not like I like the Braves. Like, I like the Braves. I love the Braves. I'll wake my kids up for the Braves. But it's different, right? It's deeper. It's not just a religious affiliation. It's not just a way to make sure that you're not going to go to hell when you die. Christianity involves our whole lives. When we place our faith in Jesus, there is not an area of our lives that should not be impacted by our faith in Jesus. And James does such a good job of helping us understand that. There's a verse at the end of James chapter 2 where we'll be focusing today that says it really clearly. He says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, that is who they are, that is how they live, and not by faith alone. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, that feels a little bit controversial, and so we'll unpack that verse in a moment. But James, is, his leaning is really clear. He wants us to understand that if Jesus Christ is a part of your life, he leads you to live a certain way. And so I hope today is challenge. I want to challenge two groups. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I hope today feels like an opportunity to move from being a fan of Jesus to living fully for him. Maybe today is an opportunity to move underneath this surrender, this idea of Jesus is here and God, I bring my life underneath you. And maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope today that something clicks where you see this picture of living faith and you say, I don't have all the answers. I still have a lot of things I need to talk about, but today I want to make a decision to say yes to Jesus. That's what I hope happens today as we challenge each other through James chapter two. It's going to be that type of day because I think we need a wake-up call. I know I need a wake-up call in my faith constantly. It's not unusual for our faith to feel lifeless. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but how many times have you found yourself through the course of a year, a long year, and you just feel like my faith feels cold? Maybe, maybe you feel like your faith is useless, or maybe you're confused, or maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're like, I'm not even sure what I believe. Everything's spinning around me. God, I don't know what I believe about you. Man, I really hope today is a wake-up call for all of us. And, and I, I, there's a few reasons why I think we need these constant wake-up calls, but, but one of them is I think we have a particular problem in modern Christianity. I'm going to over-speak and over-exaggerate for a moment, but I, but I think it'll communicate a point. All of us have kind of these, these boxes that make up our lives. It's almost like we have a version of Christianity that kind of puts Jesus in a box. And we have a Jesus box, and, and he's a part of our lives, and this is a good box. This is a great box. You need a Jesus box. I need a Jesus box. I mean, I don't want to go to hell when I die. So right, I need, a, I need a, a Jesus box to make sure that that's taken care of. But then 
But then I have the rest of my life. I have real life, right? I have, I have my, my family box. And this is me as a, a husband or you as, I mean, whatever, as a spouse with your kids. And, and maybe occasionally you let the Jesus box and the family box kind of bump into one another. We got to pray at dinner and we'll go to church from time to time. And so that's a good box there. Anyway, that family box can go back inside. Uh, and then maybe you have your friend box and, and this box and the Jesus box maybe interact with each other a little bit, but ultimately you don't want to be the guy that talks about Jesus while you're trying to watch the game with your buddies. We have our church box. Now our church box and our Jesus box, this is where Jesus can live. Jesus, you can stay near my church box. We have our job box and, and you have things that you want for your job, but I can't really talk about Jesus much on the job, can I? But, but I do want to get that promotion. And so I'll sprinkle a little God in there when I need to make sure that I get that promotion or to deal with that person that just really needs the grace of Jesus. And then we have like other boxes, our neighborhood box, our finance box, our, our that one, um, our politics box. I'm not gonna talk about that. We have our hobbies box. I mean, you, I mean, who needs God in fun? Like, you need, who wants to talk about God on the golf course or God while you're playing video games or uh, God while you're at the gym? Now, if you uh, are into CrossFit, you already have a religion, so you're set there. Um, you know what's funny is, like, I'm that other guy. Like, there's the people that take CrossFit really serious, and then the people that always make fun of it. Like, I always make fun of it, which is about as serious as being super serious about CrossFit. But you get the idea. We have a private box. We have all of these different boxes that tend to make up our lives. And what happens is Jesus is only part of our lives. And today, what we need to be able to understand, and I think what James is teaching us, is that when Jesus saves you, he does more than just change your eternity, but he changes your life. When Jesus saves you, there's more than happens that, that you have now a Jesus box, but Jesus begins to change your very life, which is why we say Christianity is a lifestyle. We come back to James chapter two, where perhaps we have one of the more controversial phrases in all of the New Testament, and it's this phrase, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Uh, if you've been around church for any length of time, maybe you've heard that phrase. If you haven't, you should know that that's a pretty controversial question because it feels like it goes against some other passages of scripture. Like, what does it mean? Are we saved by faith and works? But I thought salvation was a gift from God, not to myself. Like, like how does all of this work together? So let's jump in and let's see, because I think there are really good answers to those questions. James chapter two, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, pause by the way, pick up on some of the clues along the way as we read this. What good is it if someone just says that he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Talking about eternal salvation. Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And the return is, but I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith from works is useless? 
as we begin to understand what is happening, first I have to unpack a few other kind of big ideas. This thought of what salvation is. When we say salvation, what we literally mean, when I say, can that faith save you? What we mean is you are saved from spiritual death. So hell is a literal place. Heaven is a literal place. And our sin has separated us from God. And our eternal trajectory in our sin is away from him. Because we cannot unearn our spiritual debt of sin. You cannot just kind of be good enough to pile on to where the good works are now enough for you to get into heaven on your own. So our eternal trajectory is away from God. But for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross in our place to pay the penalty, the debt of our sin. So that now, if you place your faith in Jesus, your eternal trajectory, your eternal home is in heaven. So when we say saved, we literally mean saved from spiritual death. This is a big deal. This is the good news. This is the gospel. I don't know if there could be a bigger deal than this. And we see that faith in Jesus Christ is the means by which that we grab onto this salvation. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore... Just sit in this. This is one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That word peace, as I was reading last night, began to, to mess with me. When there feels like there's so much war and so much division and so much angst, and so much hatred, isn't it peace that our souls long for? You can almost feel it when you say peace with God. And when you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, you overflow with peace to other people. And so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. We're in, we're in. we've gained access into God's presence, into the kingdom of heaven by faith into this grace with which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in hope, which means that even when things feel bad, we set our eyes up here. No matter what's happening around us, we, we get so defeated, like our eyes go down, right? And we begin to boast in our side winning or our side losing. And we begin to think about all the things that are, that are kind of fighting against one another. And we get pulled down in this defeated place. And a passage of scripture says this, hey, because of faith in Jesus, You've gained access to heaven, so place your hope there. One day, everything sad is going to be untrue because of Jesus. And our hearts and our lives begin to lift to that. But you notice this emphasis on the word faith. That faith is the open door. Faith, not works, is how we grab onto this gift of salvation. But didn't we just read in James where it said that a righteous person is counted righteous, not by faith alone, but by what they do. And the apostle Paul writes another famous passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians that seems to contradict that as well. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, right? You feel it. You feel the contradiction? If you don't feel the contradiction, you're not being honest. I'm giving you... I'm giving us opportunity to see that the Bible requires us to look deeper, okay? So, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
it feels like this contradiction. It sounds like James is saying faith without works is dead. And it sounds like the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 that faith alone saves us. So what do we do with that? Because the, the great thing about scripture is scripture tends to answer scripture. So you just have to peel back layers and continue to learn because what you begin to find is that those two actually work together and support one another. So let's go to school for just a moment and let's, let's learn, okay? You in? The word works that James uses in James chapter two should be understood as action. Think of it as an overflow. Think about it as a response. Like if a bee flew onto this stage right now and stung me on my arm, I would what? I would respond. I would act strong, but I would respond. I don't want you to see me act weak, but, but I would respond. So when faith, when we put our faith in Jesus, action happens. It is a natural response to our hearts being changed by Jesus. You could say it like this. It is by people's actions. Unpack this with me. It is by people's actions that we prove the reality of our faith in Jesus. So James means action. Paul means it differently. Paul does not use the word works in the same way. When Paul says it is not as a result of works, he's speaking very specifically about this idea of being able to obey the law in order to save yourself. So when you read the word works in Ephesians 2, Paul's like, hey, you don't have to live according to specifically even the Jewish law. Like that could never save you. So you can't earn your way up. So remember that when you try to step into this salvation, you cannot work your way in order to be saved. Let me, let me unpack it this way over here on the board. There is a difference the way Paul uses the word works, he talks about it as if it's earning. This, as a way to earn God's approval, works as a, as a way to say, God, are you and I good, is not in line with the gospel. But works as evidence that you have been made new in Christ, that this reveals that you have been transformed by Jesus, this is in line with the gospel. Because what James wants us to understand is that uh, a saved person is necessarily a transformed person. A saved person is necessarily a transformed person. There is not somebody who is, uh, has the trajectory, like their future home is heaven, who is not also undergoing a transformation, which is why we have to kind of go towards an equation. I, I don't, I'm not a math person. Any people, you just claim it, you're a math person. Nobody. Um, <laughs> 12 stone church, uh, no math people, got it. Uh, how many of you, come on, you're a few math people. You're, you just felt like you couldn't raise your hand, loud and proud. My, my mom is a retired math teacher and I don't know what missed me, but I could write a paper. I could write a 20 page paper blinking and I, I would say it's because I'm full of hot air, but I think it's because I'm full of another thing. Um, so let me do a little bit of an equation for us. If works... As, as you think about salvation, saving faith in Jesus or living faith, if works precedes faith, it does not equal, like that, that's the do not equal sign. For those of you who didn't know, <laughs> boom. Um, it does not equal salvation. But if you begin to see it as uh, something that happens together, that faith 
and, I made up a symbol, I don't know what that is. Faith and works and salvation. This in a moment, because a saved person is necessarily a person who is being transformed. I'm not saying you're perfect. A saved person is a transformed person. This right here works together. We like to segment it out. Well, is it works or faith? Is it faith and works? What comes first? No, no, no. Faith begins to transform us. And there's a few reasons why. I think at the core of why faith begins to transform us is because how Jesus works in our lives and how we think about Jesus working in our lives matters. Think about it. We, we like to try to pick our version of Jesus, like our favorite version of Jesus. I think sometimes we think about Jesus uh, as like this desperate savior, like he's sitting up in heaven, kind of like fingers crossed, like, man, I really hope those guys down there pick me. Like almost like a picture of kids sitting at the cafeteria table, uh, like, you know, by himself. He's like, I really hope some friends come and sit with me. Do you know what? I got really good things to say to you guys. I really want you to go to heaven. And so we picture Jesus like a little bit more meek and, and mild, I think, than he is. Uh, as I was thinking about our picking our favorite version of Jesus, I thought about the old movie, uh, Talladega Nights. Um, some of you are judging me so hard. You need to stop because you've seen it too. Um, Talladega Nights where they're sitting at the dinner table and they're, they're arguing over their favorite version of Jesus and Ricky Bobby character, he likes to pray to little baby Jesus, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Then his buddy likes to pray to the Jesus who has a tuxedo shirt on the front and the mullet in the back because he wants to see Jesus is ready for business but also ready to party. You know, like that's his favorite version of Jesus. You know, we do a little bit of the same thing. We think about Jesus as our friend, pal Jesus, buddy Jesus. Maybe you like to think of vacation Bible school Jesus. That's one of my favorite versions of Jesus. Maybe you think about blonde hair, blue eyed American Jesus or warrior Jesus. He's going to come in and he's going to fight. See, Jesus is our savior. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is loving. He is patient. He's our savior, but don't miss this. He's our king. And we do not get to pick our version of Jesus because Jesus is who Jesus is. He is Savior King. He stoops down and he picks us up in our sin and he rescues us as Savior, but then he reigns over us as King. So when you come to faith in Christ, you are not only embracing the goodness of being saved from your sin, you're also embracing him as king. So our lives begin to change. So back to lifestyle, Christianity is a lifestyle. Our lives begin to change because our leader has changed. I'm no longer the leader of my life, when we are able to recognize this, we begin to see that God is, is he's drawing us somewhere. He's doing something in us. He is not a, tra this is not a transaction. God is not a spiritual slot machine in the heaven that if I'm going to put in my nickel of faith and I'm going to pull the thing and I'm going to get to go to heaven. He is king. And so as we begin to think about him as king and what living faith looks like, that faith with our works, this transformed person, it became clear to me that we're wrestling down a lot of counterfeit versions of Christianity. And so I want to talk about three counterfeit versions of Christianity. And when I say counterfeit, I mean not the real thing. And think of 
Think of yourself. So as I'm working through these counterfeits, I think we all have a drift. Everybody has a drift in their counter, like to a counterfeit version of Christianity. So be honest with yourself as we walk through, the, through these uh, to find the one that you drift towards. Counterfeit number one, I'm going to call a lifeless faith. A lifeless faith. This is agreeing with the truths of Christianity, but not consistently living out the works of Christianity. I'm going to, I'm just going to warn you, I'm about to meddle, okay? I'm about to mess with us a little bit. This is a reputation for old school Christianity. The warning here, this is not just about being counterfeit. This is about being fraudulent, where you claim Jesus with your mouth, but deny him with your life. Here's what this counterfeit does. We have our Jesus box, and we want people to know that we're Christians. We claim the name of Jesus. We want people to know that. And so as it suits us, we will use the name of Jesus at our job. We'll use the name of Jesus in our church. We'll use the name of Jesus occasionally with our family. We'll use the name of Jesus in our neighborhood. But we're not actually carrying the works of Jesus where we claim the name of Jesus. This counterfeit uses Jesus like a greasy used car salesman. By the way, if you're a used car salesman, I don't actually think you're greasy. That's just the metaphor. You get the idea. This counterfeit uses Jesus to say, look at me. I believe the right things. I know the right things. I claim the right things. But then watch me treat somebody harshly at my job. Watch me cheat to get ahead. Watch me fight on social media with somebody differently than me. Watch me hold back love when God calls me to love because what matters most is being able to claim Jesus rather than actually following him. It's like wanting the title of Christian without the responsibility of living in the likeness of Jesus, claiming the title without doing the job. It doesn't work. You just can't claim a title and then be that thing or be in that position. Um, my eight-year anniversary at 12 Stone is coming up this year. I've been a pastor here for eight years this year, the later on this, this, this uh, November. Um, thank you. Uh, and I thought, you know what? 12 Stone right now has two senior pastors. We have our founding senior pastor, Kevin Myers, who planted this church 35 plus years ago. Praise God. Thank God for Kevin. We have Jason. God is, is growing Jason into our next senior pastor. That's great. But two senior pastors, that's confusing. On my, on my eighth anniversary here, I'm going to show up with new business cards that just say 12 Stone CEO. And what I've done is I'm just going to claim it. Guys, I'm going to make it easier for everybody. Kevin and Jason, you report to me. And now the whole church knows how this works, right? That, that's where the authority lies because I claim it. Yeah, right. It doesn't work that way, does it? But don't we do that with our faith? We jump in on social media where now we have a bio. Oh, I want people to know some things about me. So on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or all the other ones that kids use. I'm 33, but I feel like an 80-year-old man trapped in a 33-year-old body. Like all the other ones that are being used, like we have a bio. And we'll say saved by Jesus or follower of Jesus or Christian because we want the title. But then we'll be the first person to post how angry we are with a local restaurant that was 10 minutes late with our food. <laughs> we'll be the first to throw a stone. We'll be the first to cut. We'll be the first to be an antagonist. And what we begin to see, there is a disconnect from who we say we are and who we actually are. It should not be this way. We should not be the type of people who will claim 
Christian, which literally means little Christ. Christian literally means little anointed one of Christ. If you want to know the root of that word, little anointed one of Christ. So we should have zero interest in being Christian in title only. In fact, James speaks directly to this in James chapter two, back to verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. Even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? I read that. I was like, dang, James, like settle down. Could you imagine reading that in early Christianity? Like, bro, you just called my version of Christianity the same as a demon. Whoa, bro, slow down. But he's having to be clear because what he wanted them to know when he wrote it and what he wants us to know today is that demons believe the right things about Jesus. They agree with Jesus on who he is, and they even shudder, but they don't have saving faith because they have not embraced him as king. This should be startling to us that demons almost, it's like they have a Jesus box too. They believe the right things. They intellectually have the right ideas about Jesus, but salvation is so much more than an agreement with a set of ideas. It has to get into our lives, which is why this counterfeit, and this is where I'm gonna keep messing, this counterfeit is one of the greatest critiques from the next generation to the older generation in the church. The next generation has not always had a clear example of what it means to believe the right things about Jesus and live the way Jesus lived. They've seen it up close from parents, grandparents. They've seen it from a distance from people they know. They've seen it on social media. They've seen it in politics where people are like, I'm a Christian and then backstab. I'm a Christian, and the same hand I use to to worship on Sunday, I do something I shouldn't with it on Monday, or the same words I use to worship Jesus on Sunday, I cut some with on Monday. They've seen that version of Christianity in the next generation. I don't know if you know this. They're fleeing the church. And it's not necessarily because they're disillusioned with the truths of Jesus. It's because they're disillusioned with us. This is going to be a cutting phrase, but but please please hear my heart in this. The next generation doesn't want our Jesus because they don't want our lives. see something not working. And I hear the next generation comparing and contrasting. And this is where I think the next generation gets really kind of upset because we talk about the past with like superior terms. Like back in my day, like you realize every time you say, well, we used to do it like this. All they hear is you as like a grumpy old person saying, back in my day, we walked uphill and both ways to church. And we shared the gospel with everybody that we saw along the way. That's how they hear us. But what would actually happen if we began to live out the love of Jesus, the good works of Jesus, is that when we do that, we begin to display the beauty of the gospel and their hearts are drawn to the truth of Jesus. What an invitation for us to live that way. Uh, Pastor Steve next week is going to go a little bit further on that to help us understand what does it look like actually in practical life to live with that type of faith. But we'll move to the next counterfeit. Counterfeit number two, faithless works. So the first one was a lifeless faith. This is faithless works, which is essentially uh, doing good works without specifically tying them to Jesus. So doing good things, but not doing it in Jesus' name. This is a little bit more of a new school. 
maybe you have seen this version of Christianity where people are like, I just wanna love. I just wanna show compassion. I just wanna be accepting. But then they'll push away from the core truths of Jesus. Truths like Jesus is the only way to salvation. Truths uh, around how Jesus defines morality and ethics and life. People begin to say, I I want a version of Jesus because I like the idea of being virtuous, but I don't want the hard truth of Jesus. Where the first counterfeit uses Jesus in all of the other boxes for their own benefit, this counterfeit hides Jesus. Say, I might might bring Jesus out a little bit when I need to pray, or I might talk to another person that I think kind of believes like me about Jesus, and I might occasionally go to church, but I really don't want Jesus creeping into all these other areas of my life, and so I'm just going to hide Jesus from time to time. And here's the, the warning when we begin to live in this counterfeit. Good works without Jesus misses eternity. It's like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. The Titanic is still going down. We need to help people get into an entirely different ship. So our good works, though important, you should do the good works. We absolutely have a calling to every suffering, hurting person in our community should feel the weight of our good works. But our good works will hit a lid of importance if we are not introducing people to Jesus along the way. It often looks like this, that I just want to love people. I just want to love people. I want to live my truth so they can live their truth. And so truth becomes this really fluid, uh, intangible, unstructured thing that ultimately lacks power because there is truth and his name is Jesus. We do everything with a view of eternity. So we should be doing all of these good works, but we have to introduce people to Jesus because what if we give somebody a loaf of bread for their hungry body, but we ignore their soul? Have we really loved them? And so we do things with the name of Jesus because we always do things with a view of eternity because one day every soul will stand before God. Every soul will stand before God and they'll be asked kind of this proverbial question, like why? Why should you be led into heaven? And any response that is short of Jesus Christ has made a way for me will fall short. Any response that's like, I was pretty good and I was real accepting. Did you see how bad my brother was? Like I was better than that guy. Like, So I should be able to get in, right? Any answer short of Jesus Christ falls short. The gospel, the saving work that we need to enter into eternity with God in heaven has always been Jesus. It is Jesus today, and it always will be Jesus. And maybe, maybe, let me, so I was a little firm with the older generation. Let me continually be firm with the newer generation. You are finding reasons to cut yourself off from the church because you've seen Christians jack it up. I just want to say this, like it is at the very core of Christianity. The whole thing assumes that we're a bunch of mess ups. Like this is built on us being the only place in the world where you can show up and go, I'm not enough. I'm still in process. And we're supposed to respond with, well, yeah, me too. And so what happens, uh, the next generation begins to push away from the church. And I would say, don't push away from the church when the church lets you down because they don't necessarily represent Jesus. It'd be like getting upset with a four-year-old that can't play Mozart well. So if you go pick a snot-nosed four-year-old up, put him on a piano, put this beautiful symphony or orchestra thing from Mozart, let the four-year-old begin to play and he botches it, you're going to get mad at Mozart? No, Mozart's beautiful. The four-year-old just doesn't know how to play. 
Jesus is beautiful. I just don't know how to play. <laughs> so we mess up. So, so hear me. The church will let you down. People will let you down. Christians will mess it up. But don't let my mess ups, don't let my screw ups cause you to blame Jesus. Celebrate Jesus with me that after we mess up, he says, come on back, son. I love you. So don't push away from Jesus. But embrace Jesus. Embrace the truth of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and the works of Jesus. You see how it works, right? The counterfeit of a lifeless faith and then a faithless work. And then the final counterfeit is legalism. I have to say this counterfeit because it has been an issue in the church for thousands of years. So much of the New Testament combats legalism. And the caution here is you don't have to work to earn your salvation Legalism says that you have to obey certain things in order to be saved. The gospel says, come to me who are weary and broken, and I will give you rest. The gospel says you don't have to pre-qualify for my love. The gospel says that you don't have to pass a prerequisite exam to get accepted into your preferred degree program of heaven. Maybe you've thought about it that way. Like, man, life is this exam, and I really hope that I get my acceptance letter because I really don't want to, I really, like, I want heaven. I really want to be on that team. And I know it's a little cheesy, but, like, picture it with me. Before you've even taken the test, you've been given your acceptance letter. Before you even tried out to the team, you've been given, like, your varsity letter. The invitation of Jesus is just say yes. He's done the work and then said, hey, believe in me. Trust me. I will not only save you, but I will transform you. Legalism. Legalism keeps us distant from God because we believe we're in this conditional relationship with him. Well, if I did a bad thing today, well, God's going to, what is he going to do? Smite me? Well, I did good today. So God, are we good? Legalism puts that barrier between us and God. And the heart of the gospel is bring your brokenness, bring your sin, bring your pain, and rest in me. And then God begins to clean us up. Then God begins to help us live for him. James chapter two, or excuse me, James chapter five, verse 11. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. That compassion and that mercy is set on you. And so then we come to this final thought of authentic Christianity. If we have counterfeits, what's authentic? Authentic Christianity is living faith. Where we're saved by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, living out the works of Jesus. You could say it, say it like this. It's a living, saving faith that works. A faith that works. A faith that works to save your soul and a faith that works in displaying the goodness of Jesus to the world. A faith that lives is a faith that works. It's not perfect. You're not gonna be perfect. You're going to mess up. But what God begins to do is as you accept him as savior and he begins to transform your life, he sets your heart in his direction. You're not, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're going to stumble. So if you sin after we leave this teaching, which you probably will in like 30 minutes, um, don't think, oh my gosh, he said a transformed life. Am I saved? No. What does your heart say? Do you desire the things of God? Are you allowing yourself to be in progress, moving towards God, step by step, day by day, moment by moment? 
What does your heart say about sin? Do you begin to say, I hate sin and I love God. Now I get pulled over here sometimes into sin, but God, I love you. The ultimately the invitation of saving faith is that Jesus is not just part of our lives. Jesus is not just one box where we learn a little bit about him, but Jesus ultimately is our life. Do you see the difference? When we make Jesus just a part of our lives, we're never living, really living out real faith. But when we recognize that it's all Jesus, everything falls into him. He informs who I am in my family and who I am at my job. He informs how I live in my neighborhood and my politics. He, he shows me how to have meaningful friendships because Jesus is not in a box as part of my life. He's the whole thing. This is what we mean by Christianity is a lifestyle as you put your whole life here and it affects everything going on around you. It affects everything that you see right now in the world. Is Jesus your whole life or is he just part of it? Or maybe there's none of it. Maybe you're new to this idea of saving faith. And so today pastors are going to lead you to have a moment to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you are already a follower of Jesus and you just need to stand and confess. I've been putting Jesus in a box and now today, God, I'm going to recognize that it's all you. You're my whole life. I don't want you to be part. I want you to be all. Or maybe you are brand new to all of this and you still have questions and concerns, but today you're going to take a step of faith and say, I want that. I want salvation. I want faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.